one. Thank you everyone for your patience and uh, thank you to everyone on stage. We're gonna kick things off right away. For those of you who do not know me and you're hearing me for the first time, I am Dr. Kike Uduba. I'm a physician, I'm a public health expert and a digital health strategist, specifically in telehealth. And I have with me on stage a powerful team of uh, speakers and uh, we have a guest uh, speaker with us. We have Honorable uh, Dr. Lee Piton, who is the former Lagos State Health Commissioner and International Hospital Federation Advisor for Africa. He is a member of the Forum of Evidence-Based Health Policy Making of the Nigerian Academy of Science, as well as Executive Director of Pitman UK Training Center. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Piton, everyone. If you could give him a mic clap, everyone on stage. Uh, welcome to Clubhouse. Uh, thank you so much for gracing us with your presence. Um, thank you. Yes, sir. Welcome, sir. And I also want to acknowledge uh, the moderators and the panelists on this stage, uh, starting from Clement, who actually put together this event. Thank you for doing this, Clement, in connecting us to Dr. Piton and uh, Dr. Wiley as well. Thank you for joining us today. I also want to acknowledge Dr. Abewali Abesoya and Dr. John Abesioye. I uh, also want to acknowledge Victor, Victor Olatunde and Ifeko, our beloved Ife. I hope I didn't miss anyone. So thank you all for coming. And of course, my beautiful moderator and partner in uh, the reinventing healthcare in Africa room, Chi Idegelaya. Welcome everyone. Uh, without further ado, I'm gonna let Dr. Uh, Wale introduce himself and the rest of the panel, and then we will let uh, the Honorable uh, Lake, uh, Dr. Lake Piton uh, give his keynote speech on the challenges and opportunities in fixing the Nigerian healthcare system. On to you, Dr. Wale. Hi everyone, uh, good evening. My name is Wale Oyemati. I'm a physician trained in the Caribbean practice as a um, general practitioner in Nigeria. Uh, I got my MBA from, from Temple Uni and I currently work in, in pharmaceutical hospitals in Veronica. Uh, Dr. Pito is one of my mentors. I'm so great, uh, greatly excited to have him here up on stage. He's someone that I greatly admire. He's done a lot of great work that I'm very familiar with. Um, while as a commissioner in Nigeria, um, as a commissioner for health, commissioner for education, and you know, doing his campaign as well as to uh, to have been the governor of Lagos State. So he's someone who's very, very vast. And the thing that I strongly believe that we'll have a lot to gain from this conversation. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Wiley. Uh, Clement, can you introduce yourself to everyone and then we'll go to Chi. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the patience to come in. And um, Honorable Dr. Peter, thank you for honoring this opportunity. I am Clement. I'm a biomedical engineer. I, I so much believe in the health care um, system in Nigeria. I believe it's going to get better because 
at least I say I think we are heading towards the glory days if we all work together. So I'm really, really happy to be here. I'm really happy to be part of this team and I hope that at the end of the day because I was going through Dr. Peter's um bio and I saw a lot and I was like, Okay, this is if there's anybody that can pioneer the um get towards where I envision in my head for Nigeria, then I think it's it will be the man. And thank you very much, sir, for coming. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for putting this together, Clement. Uh, Chi, could you introduce yourself to everyone, please? Good day, everyone. It is an honor to be here. This feels like answered prayers because we've had so many conversations on reinventing healthcare in Africa and one of the things that the conclusions uh, that we have had the privilege of making is that Lagos State is currently the gold standard of healthcare not only in Nigeria but in West Africa in much of Africa. It is a model that we have had the privilege of having experienced hands-on practitioners educate us on. So it is uh, it is truly a privilege to be here with um, Dr. Patan and I cannot wait to get into conversation. I cannot wait for us to hear from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And um, I welcome everyone here, and I'm excited. I am a healthcare administrator by training. I build healthcare practices. I help clinicians build profitable practices so that I fill in the gaps in the business acumen and their passion truly serves people and serves them. So, um, glad to be here and can't wait to get into it thank you awesome glad to have you here chi and of course victor the formidable entrepreneur please introduce yourself to everyone all right uh, good evening everyone um thanks for having me in the room and uh, good evening dr leke it has been um, amazing checking your works out over the years um, Victor Latone is my name, and I happen to have my background in multiple industries, uh, talking about food and agri-tech, um, nutrition, and um, fun, uh, precision uh, nutrition, you could actually call that, and as well as fintech. So I have the opportunity of working with people at the grassroots, and um, as of today, I serve um, close to 200,000 people across Nigeria, Kenya, and Sierra Leone. Uh, so that gives me a lot of insight or a lot of hands-on view of what is happening in terms of health, in terms of finance, in terms of education, and those kind of industries that are interconnected at the, at the grassroots. So, of course, um, I'm the founder of Nutritional Health, which is basically um, a platform that's trying to use uh, big data AI and um, for, uh, basically um, food data to help individuals manage uh, chronic illnesses and at the same time connecting them via telehealth. So it's nice being here, and I hope definitely that we'll be able to have um, great conversations that would really, really solve the problem of this uh, of the country um, as far as health is concerned. Thank you once again. 
Thank you, Victor. It's always nice having conversations with you. Ifeko, could you unmute your mic and introduce yourself to everyone? Thank you so much. Uh, good evening and good evening, Dr. Lekipitan. Uh, it's a pleasure and an honor and a privilege to, you know, be on the same stage with you in this room. Uh, my name is Ifeko, or you can call me Ife Benige. Um, I'm primarily a clinical research scientist, project manager within the pharmaceutical industry, specializing mostly in clinical trials. So that's my primary, my primary background, obviously. And here, based in the UK, but also Nigerian by birth, but also work globally as well. So I'm looking forward to a very riveting, action-packed conversation to see how we can obviously fix Nigerian healthcare and it can also be truly a model for other countries on the continent here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Feiko. And of course, our very wise and insightful Dr. John Adesioye. Please introduce yourself to everyone. John Adeshioye, CEO Utopian Health Services Nigeria Limited. Um, born out of Utopia Consulting USA, still spend my time on both continents, but now starting to spend more time in Nigeria because obviously there's a lot more work to do here. Um, it's nice seeing a lot of people on the panel again. It's nice having Dr. Quinton here. I've been on a couple of panels with him in the past, and it is always a good time getting from his wisdom experience and all he has to offer especially since he's done a lot when it comes to the nigerian healthcare landscape over the years so thanks for having me and looking forward to the conversation i'm done thank you so much for coming uh we want to say thank you to dr adewale adesanya as well for coming into the room could you please unmute your mic and introduce yourself to everyone Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, teacher. And um, um, good afternoon, Dr. Lekisa. I'm very pleased to be in the same room with you, sir. I'm one of your oldest staff. I've worked for several years uh, at the City Service in Lagos State, working directly with those uh, people who refer to uh, the grassroots in Lagos State. I still work in Lagos State Service Commission. I'm a Practicing for about 20 years. I also uh, own a private, uh, I mean, a here in Lagos. So it's been a privilege uh, working jointly with Clement to actually demystify the problems of, I mean, healthcare in Nigeria. So and I'm pleased to be in the room again. Thank you for that, Dr. Adewale. So we're going to allow Dr. Uh, Piton introduce himself formally to everyone and then allow him speak to us on the challenges and opportunities uh, in the Nigerian healthcare system coming from a policy making and uh, uh, advocacy standpoint. Dr. Piton, welcome to the room. Thank you again for coming. We have you on the floor to speak now. Thank you all for having me. I will not uh, bore you with introducing myself. I've already been over introduced. 
so let me just say it is still the same me, Dr. Lekekuto. Thank you very much. With all that has been said. Uh, when I go to your topic, challenges and opportunities, I'm going to say because this is not a didactic lecture, it's a discussion which I love very much. Uh, I want to talk about the challenges just brief, briefly. And the reason why I'm brief is that they are staring us in the face. And secondly, Dr. Adewale said something. He said demystify, which is very true. And uh, because of this very rich uh, panel and uh, participants, it's important for me to tell you one thing. Those challenges are man-made. Solving them is not nuclear science. Don't let anybody give you the impression that it's a difficult and gigantic or gargantuan problem that uh, takes so much to solve. No. They are issues that are easy to solve. And I dare say, without fear of contradiction, most of the things I will tell you are things me and a lot of my colleagues that work with me have actually done before. Not that we they have been done somewhere or we learned of we too we did and they worked. So uh, I want you to come with the mind that there's nothing so difficult. When you talk about challenges, lack of infrastructure, lack of coordinated deliberate policy, uh, lack of appropriate prioritization, lack of funding, low level of education of majority of our people, and so on and so forth. Almost every other problem stems with that. And of course, corruption. Because even when we tell them this is the way, you still have people who come in to put themselves first, rather than putting the people first all the time they, they do that and it it, 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 it disturbs a lot so to make this richer we go to what you call opportunities what you call opportunities in the course of my say stating some of those things i know it will fire with a lot of questions and discussions then i may have opportunity to go to town citing examples and so on so i'll go to opportunities the way Nigeria is, because of those various things I'm talking about, lack of funds, lack of infrastructure and all that, and that is why I've structured or pinpointed some of these uh, points that to raise as opportunities. One, because of infrastructure and so many and funds, I would rather suggest that they maximize resources at all levels. And what do I mean by maximizing resources at all levels? They must understand that hospitals, as a narrative, uh, as a concept, is not strictly brick and mortar. That has to be uh, uh, tailor-made or, or built to a, in 
a particular way so that they don't need to go beginning to award contract building hospitals and so on, which by the way have been done in some places and still didn't yield good health care. That's really what I'm saying. There are many several abandoned projects that could easily be converted to provide health care and they litter the landscape of Nigeria. They can be used. For you to understand what I mean, we did a lot of that during my time. And those structures are the general hospitals in this day that serve the people. And in those places, they did not have anything near even comprehensive health center. So that what we did was to take their local government headquarters and convert them to general hospitals. And that's what they are still benefiting from till now. So imagine what could have happened if, for instance, the former federal secretariat at ICO that is rotting the is converted into one huge healthcare facility. Do you know what that will mean? There will be modifications here and there and all that, but then you'll have one giant hospital there where everybody can attest so. So they can also use these structures and they need to involve private sector. When I say involve private sector, they need to stop seeing healthcare from point of view of public health care system, separate from private health care. Both are part of the health care system. They belong to one same health care system. An example of what I'm saying is this. Places where private facilities already exist should just be adopted as part of the system. And government liaises with them there, maximizing the resources there, both human resource and physical structure there, and utilize them, both for giving health care to the people, even at primary level or at secondary level, and in some cases at tertiary care, including doing sophisticated cases like heart surgery, renal transplants, and so on and so forth. I know of facilities that can do that that are in private sector. And that also will allow room for training of both our public healthcare staff as well as private. What I mean, for instance, you have a teaching hospital in Nigeria, so many. They are training people in radiology to become consultants. But they don't have CT scans there. They don't have MRI. In some cases, they don't even have digital X-ray. Meanwhile, just in town, you have diagnostic centers that are private that have all these things. All they need to do is for the commissioner there to go and talk to the private sector, talk to the teaching hospital, and let the two work together. Let there be a handshake. The resident can always ro do rotation to those private facilities and learn. And the private facilities will benefit because when that level of personnel are coming there, it further attracts more clientele. The, 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 the residents will learn more at no cost to government at all. 
these are things I have tried and I put on ground. Just to give you an example. You can go on to so many cases. Whether you want to do laser in uh, uh, retinal detachment treatment, you want to do uh, 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 TURP in prostate, and so on. Even in terms of gastroenterology, and so on. So many things you can do. There are private settings that have these facilities. Who now sometimes use personnel in government teaching hospitals? And those personnel, because they have not been trained with those equipment, don't do well. So, maximizing resources. For instance, during uh, COVID, government suddenly started creating tents and places where people could be isolated and treated. What stopped them from doing such for more facilities? Who told them that it is only when they construct an award contract of multi-story facilities that went and then use even more money to come and commission with fanfare before people can get health care. You don't need all that. So, maximizing resources at all levels, including primary care, secondary care, and tertiary care, is key in a scenario as ours where we have challenges of lack of funds, lack of purchasing power, uh, people and lack of education and so on. Then the second point in opportunities is to make health bankable. And what do we mean by that? Through health insurance. And the only way I've seen, because I've been involved in many panels on that, too, at federal level even, to make health insurance come to stay and expand beyond the four or five percent it has been for years is for government to be ready to pay premium for the poor. Which, by the way, happens in even United States here. And what they need to do is more tax from the rich and other taxable adults and use some of that to pay premium for the poor. The health insurance coverage will simply boom once they do that. It will just boom once they do that. Also, they can use telecom tariffs to further generate funds for health insurance and even use it for automatic health insurance premium deduction. What do I mean by that? One infrastructure that has spread through the entire nook and cranny of Nigeria today is the telecom. No, no argument. Even the ordinary beggar has a phone. The fisherman, ordinary fisherman in his canoe on the lagoon or sea has phone. Most people have phones. So what I mean is government simply needs to have the political will to now say, look here, instead of paying 10 naira per second, for instance, they're going to be paying 12 naira per second. The extra two naira will go towards healthcare. That's another way of adding. And you could even personalize it that you that you are using, what you are paying, some of it goes to your premium payment. If you are not too poor to afford a phone, then you can also 
to contribute to your own health insurance. Whatever is left, government can now subsidize and do that. Make health bankable. And the more meaning of bankable means once the banks realize that healthcare facilities are now making money through regular income by health insurance, then it becomes bankable. Then they can start talking of putting out facilities, terms of loans and so on, to such hospitals to purchase equipment, do many things, and bridge the infrastructure gap by providing funds at low digits interest rates. Of course, government also will mandate through the CBA, etc. Bank, bank of industry, or a special bank for health infrastructure to be able to be giving both public facilities and private facilities very, very low interest uh, uh, loans. That is very important. All that is to make sure that it becomes something that can fly off the ground. The third gap, I think, needs to be taken care of is to regulate the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers. And what I mean by that is that rather than letting them see Nigeria as a place where they come and dump their equipment and by way of buying, government should as a matter of deliberate policy, starting from the Federal Ministry of Health and the, uh, the Health of, uh, forum, which is done at national level. There's a health council that is done annually, where all the commissioners and their permanent secretaries in all states, and the federal minister and honorable minister of state of health and the permanent secretary and directors meet annually. Where that policy is made that they will strictly regulate OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, by giving strict regulations. For instance, they should insist on equipment leasing as opposed to equipment purchase. This is to protect healthcare providers, both in private sector and in public. Even they should add sustainability conditions on those OEMs so that they can be finalized if the equipment they have supplied is down. And such policies should be in favor of the end user or healthcare providers. That way, any original equipment manufacturer will know that if he wants to tap into the big Nigerian market in an essential sector like healthcare delivery, he just has to follow and, and, and buy into these policies. So when you are bringing in your CT scan, for instance, you know that it's going to be leased by this facility. You make sure that you are constantly, as a manufacturer, ensuring that it is up and running. And anytime it is down, you are ready to quickly bring in the spare part to get it up, or you replace. These are things that government policy can do, can regulate. They know that if they don't, they won't have the market there. They are not going to have the equipment lying in their workshops forever. They need us, they need the people. So that is another part that needs to be done. And this could run the entire gamut of various equipment, from various simple things, figs, monitors, 
coffee towers and so on and so on to to uh, MRI, CT scan, mammography equipment and so on and so on and so forth. So that is important. Another part that needs to be looked into is that we should be ready to use IT technology, telecoms for virtual consultation so that we can maximize health workforce. One, not everybody will need to come and physically see a doctor. Some can even see some nurses for some level of consultation, especially at primary care. And they can see whether the doctor or the nurse at through virtual means. They can. And that will reduce the pressure on the health workforce. One, it will also allow those who are in places that the health infrastructure on ground is not adequate to, to access quality health care through such virtual means. And the backbone is there on the ground already, the telecom industry. So many people chat and do so many things. Instagram, the Facebook, WhatsApp, so many of these things. Everybody does it, I can tell you. Even, even the truck pusher also does WhatsApp. And they do Facebook and Instagram, I'm telling you. These things can be used in the healthcare. They are there. So that way, the, 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 the fisherman on the sea can contact his nurse caregiver, who, where necessary, can refer to the doctor, who will also contact that person through virtual means and solve the problem. And where he needs to get the uh, uh, prescription, it can be done electronically and he goes to pick it up and pays for it. So these are all things that can be done. Then also because of paucity of funds and the fact that the purchasing capacity of majority of our people is low, which makes the healthcare industry uh, uh, facing to face challenges of survival, we need to step down a bit and tap into cheaper sources of infrastructure. And what do I mean? For instance, we should be able to source for donations of fairly used but still fully serviceable but highly needed equipment from industrialized countries like United States, America, and other places. These are things I have done during my time with my colleagues. To be sure, I've had donations of equipment of almost 50 containers, 50, and I mean 40 foot containers, not small, small containers, 50 containers, half to Lagos State, half to Ngundo State Government, I can tell you, and I've contacted several state governments who so that they can tap into these things. They are available. What hospitals in U.S. here feel they need to trash as they use their terminology are virtually brand new to us down back home and they can save many lives and they will simply be donated probably we usually pay for transportation 
and clearing and all that. And lo and behold, these towers are on ground. These operating tables are there. These gunnies are on the ground. These specialized hospital beds are there, and so on and so forth for you. They are there. These are places that can be done. Another point is to mobilize Nigerian healthcare experts in the diaspora by government and support them towards coming back home on, even if it's initially on health missions, so that they can give back. They are very keen. I've met with them. I've worked with them. During our time, we invited them and they did a lot. From open heart surgery to neurosurgery and so on and so on and so on. I can go on and on. Renal transplant. They've done so many things. All they need to do is for the home governments, both at federal and at state level, to have a deliberate arrangement to encourage them and, of course, provide security and so on. They will come. They need it. They want it. And you will also encourage them to bring in some of their colleagues or friends who are even non-Nigerian. And there's so much we can benefit from this. And I'm not talking about just coming to check blood pressure or treat diabetes or malaria alone. I'm talking of high-level healthcare, including kidney transplants, retinal detachment uh, treatment, open heart surgery, both invasive and non-invasive, and so on and so on and so forth. And one major thing we can benefit from all this is training of our personnel, training. Because it's only when those who know are using the donated or purchased equipment that those who don't can learn. Medicine is both a science and an art. The more you do, the better you become. There are no two ways about it. And to be sure, there are professors of gastroenterology in Nigerian teaching hospitals today who are unable to do colonoscopy successfully. Many do and perforate guts. Not because they are not well read, but they have not had the opportunity to do several because of the various things, uh, challenges I've said. And these opportunities I've highlighted are simple ways that that gap can be bridged where they can have colonoscopes in, in quantum provided. People who have used them again and again and again, coming in to use them, even if they have missions, and they work with them. And before you know it, you can start doing colonoscopy as a matter of routine for the appropriate age, age, age groups. And then it becomes almost like a, like a conveyor belt system. Next next and then you have a facility doing like 20 or more a day and there will be several of such facilities can you just imagine what that means for our healthcare system the many uh, uh, potential cancers of the colon that will be saved and in so many other areas just to give an example so if we use our experts in diaspora nigerians in diaspora who are of course so many and encourage them, as I've said, who gain a lot. 
we did a lot of that during my time. There are people on this panel who are aware of this, including donated equipment, hard long machines, and so many things donated. There are even consumables that are just trashed immediately a case is done, finished in the US. Out of 100 items, they've used only 10 or 20. The remaining 80 are automatically trashed. That's the system here. They are even untouched, unopened. If we liaise appropriately with them, all these things can come to us and we will utilize them. Also, under capacity building, just as I've said, a lot of these opportunities in mobilizing our uh, nationals in diaspora and their colleagues can be used to train in various ways, such a way that we now have more personnel that are trained. And then, whether we like it or not, it will start reversing the brain drain. Because by the time they have been coming home twice, thrice in a year, and everything is working well, and so on, they will start thinking of coming to retire back home and still giving, even after retirement. That will naturally flow out of the entire, uh, the entire thing. So I can go on and on, but I'll stop here hoping that I've passed some uh, points that will encourage some questions or discussions or other contributions from my other colleagues here. Thank you very much. Wow, thank you so much, sir. We really, really appreciate your wealth of wisdom. Uh, we all came with questions, actually, and I'm looking through my list of questions and you literally touched on every single one so thank you what i'm hearing and what i'm saying here is that you really understand the needs you understand the challenges and the opportunities in fixing the healthcare system in nigeria and so um you said so much and we want to ask follow-up questions but before i go ahead i'm gonna allow members of the stage <clears throat> excuse me, and the panel to contribute and uh, chime in and ask their own questions as well. Um, I see here KJJ is on the stage and I think you, you would like to ask a question. If you can give me a moment to go through the panel and then we will get to you. Thank you so much for your anticipated um, patience. Uh, Dr. Wale, do you want to go for a question? A contribution or comment to uh, everything uh, Dr. Piton has just discussed with us. Please unmute your mic and contribute. Thank sure, you. thanks, um, Dr. Kikath. I I could probably yield my time to others as well because I know probably other people have questions to ask. I I know a lot of those things very well. Uh, he and I talk very well, very often as well about them. Uh, the only part I would love for him to hit on would probably be talk. I mean, maybe down the line, talk a little bit about what he did as. Uh, Commissioner for Health in Lagos State and the kind of improvement that he brought into the state and the effect of it till date. And then the second part is because uh, also for him to talk a little bit about um, his role in, in Nigeria's healthcare system as a whole. You know, uh, I know that he's a very influential politician as well. And um, you know, a lot of his ideas and plans that he has for the government, I, I I would love to see where he's you know been pushing that across board at the federal level to see how we may be able to implement some of those changes and what are some of the challenges in getting that done and you know how may we be able to help 
to kind of drive that initiative from a private sector perspective the government is not willing to to take the bull by the horn thank you awesome i'd let the honorable respond to that quickly and then we'll move to the next person on the stage uh, thank you Wally, and the rest um first of all uh, in legal state we did the health sector reform comprehensive health sector reform as a policy and we we legalized it made it into a made a situation where we created various uh, structures by law for instance it identified the role, the position of the Ministry of Health, the duties of the Ministry of Health, and the rights of the citizenry from the healthcare system. It also created the Health Service Commission, which is was the first and is still the only health service commission in the whole of Nigeria. And its function is to manage the health workforce, be the recruiter, employment, deployment, training, and so on and so forth, discipline, and all that. And this was cascaded down in terms of delegation of powers to the units, such a way that the Health Service Commission will have powers over senior healthcare workers in terms of discipline, while the hospitals themselves had structures created by law, that same law, that will handle middle level and junior. And even the, we did a reform in such a way that it made each hospital to now become parastatals. And the medical directors, who were just administrative heads, became chief executives and chief accounting officers of their hospitals such a way that they took charge, they took ownership, and their place, position, as well as the position of their heads of department as management committee was recognized by law, and they were given powers to run the hospitals. And this came from our thinking that hospitals are not places where you run files. They are places where you treat human beings, and they are places where you needed to be on ground for instance, you don't want a situation where a hospital's oxygen finishes and they have to be writing memos to the center, to the ministry or somewhere to get approval and money relieved before they could go and replace oxygen. That was what used to be in the past. Even ordinary borehole, to make it or renovate it or repair it or maintain, they had to be writing papers to stop the other. Each hospital will manage itself on ground and use its funds. That was a key part of the health sector reform. That same health sector reform created what we call HEFAMA, Health Facility Accreditation and Monitoring Agency, which standardized what a hospital should be what a clinic should be, what a nursing home should be, what a diagnostic facility should be, what it should contain, what's the size of the room, consulting room, what's the size of the ward, how many nurses per patient, and so on and so on and so forth. 
how 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 big should a city scan room should be? What should be there? Oxygen cylinder, so many things can name. We sat down. It took nine months to sit down and draft that and I cleared every single beating of drafting personally. The same law created the traditional medical sector, it legalized it, organized it, and standardized it, including certificates, training, all they needed to do. The same law created the primary health care board, which is departments and all that and all that, and what they should do. And to be the employer, the employer, to ensure discipline of primary health care workers all over the state. And so on and so on and so on. So many things. All in that same, what they now call the health care Bible in Lagos State. Which, by the way, other states and the federal are trying to copy. Also, we had, we, we, we reformed the blood transmission sector and made it into a law and involved the private sector. Private sector brought, we invited private sector to bring equipment to screen every pint of blood in Lagos State. And for the government staff, the laboratory scientists in hematology to screen using the private sector equipment and consumables and certify every pint as being safe. It is that safety certificate that will make it legal, that will make that pint of blood a legal tender. And we put penalty that anybody whether in government or private hospital or in traditional home safety or anything, that puts up any pint of blood without that certificate, we go to jail. We go to jail or face a very huge fine. We have not even talked about the effects it will have on the patient and the, that person facing negligence, uh, lawsuits, and so on. As a crime, we made it as a crime not a civil matter, a crime. And once you put up that blood, without that screening certificate, you are already liable. That was also part of the health sector reform, and so on and so on and so forth. I could go on and on. We created an ambulance system where they could call it by 112 or 123, Simple things on phone that even a five-year-old can die if he, his mother collapses at home. And if he goes straight to the call center. And ambulances were positioned at various areas of Lagos so that they didn't have to go through the traffic. And they were all connected by radio network. So they were connected both by telephone network as well as by special radio network all over the state. And there was a control, there were control rooms that would alert them that the caller coming. Just as you have the 911 in the US, we created it during my time. And it worked. The same thing, if there were, were accidents, people simply needed to call that one, two, three. And within a matter of minutes, ambulance would be there to come and pick those people up free of charge. Free of charge. But the ambulances were positioned on, on the roads. And those ambulances that were positioned on bridges 
we included divers in the team. So that if any accident happened and anybody was thrown into the lagoon, or the car went to the lagoon, there were people in the ambulance that would dive in with it. And they had safety belts, they had the uh, diving, diving ropes, they had the life bios in the ambulance that would help them to retrieve the people out of the cars and bring them up to safety and take care of them. All those were created and so on and so forth. We also, of course, brought in Nigerians in the diaspora who are experts in cardiac surgery, to so do open heart surgery free of charge, eye treatment, cataracts, and so on. We also ensured that we went around every local government to screen people for cancer, for uh, prostate cancer, breast cancer, and so many other things, and treated them at government expense, especially the poor. Uh, hospitals were also created, as I told you, in places using equipment that were donated from USAID. And they became general hospitals using local government headquarters. We evacuated them and told them to go and use other simple administrative offices and use the entire headquarters to become general hospitals. And they are there. And we did about five of them like that all over. And they are still existing up to now as their general hospitals. In Shomulu, for instance, in Mushi, in Nifakojai. For those of you who may be familiar with parts of Lagos, in Alimonsho, in Ibejileki, and so on and so on and so forth. So those are a few of the things. We even created a team that could come and pick corpses off the roads just by calling the same one, two, three. We gave that a different name, Semo. They will come and pick the corpses and take to the mortuary. And of course, in the various hospital system, we did private public sec uh, participation. We involved the private sector heavily. They created, they, they funded many services, like mortuaries, diagnostic facilities, and so on, within the hospital system. So that government didn't need to be stretching its budget. And all those things were to pay themselves all through. So I can go on, as I already said, to mention a few. And at federal level, by the way, I was invited to be part of those who put together this, the health care policy of the party and government, you know. And we wrote that along with my other colleagues, which were to be implemented. Uh, I hope they will still implement some of them. Some have been implemented. I hope they will implement the rest. The same thing in the social sector, including uh, on the conditional cash transfer to vulnerables and all that and all that. Even in health insurance, as I told you, the need for them to use the telecom industry to be able to raise funds. I can go on and on. There are so many things. Just to answer one of specific uh, questions. I don't know whether I've been able to do some little justice to his request. Yeah, I, thank you so much. Uh, I think we can take all the questions as well. I'm sure people, people have other questions so that we can be mindful of our time and get the best use of, yeah. of your time.